Hey, it's Mike from the High Hash Rate Podcast. Just want to take a brief moment here and thank Fountain.fm for really helping us grow our podcast. I mean, this has been a, a fun ride. If you are not listening to High Hash Rate on Fountain.fm, we highly recommend it. You can stack sats by listening to your favorite podcasts. So if you're not a fountain, head on down and download Fountain.fm today. Keeping your your own wealth, holding on to it, like what you can do with Bitcoin. This is the way it should be. It's and it's so fucking easy to do. Like twelve or twenty-four words. How hard is that? And nobody could take that away from you. If you really wanted to go to the to the nth degree and remember those words, and it's easy to do. People remember uh, silly songs like the Alphabet Song. You could do the same thing for these twelve words or twenty-four words, and you could go from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Nobody could rub you. This is incredible. Try doing that with gold. You can probably do a little bit, but the most part, you can only shove so much up your ass. Hey, everybody. This is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. Yo, welcome back. So today, um, this is kind of a long time coming. Len reached out to us, I don't know, several months ago, but I was like so bogged down with work and I was the only one that was managing the email. So I had to put Mike on, on scheduling. So we finally got this one scheduled. Uh, but Len from the Bitcoiners, uh, Canadian Bitcoiners podcast is finally coming on. Um, so Len, how's it going, man? Ah, it's going great, man. Just uh, trying to stay warm. It's kind of chilly over here in this part of Canada, but it's going to get better soon. So how about you guys? How's it going over there? It's going great. I was telling you before we started recording that it's been like negative 20, 30 Fahrenheit. I've got no water in my house right now because I'm waiting for the plumbers to come. Um, it takes a burst pipe. And I was talking to the plumbers on the phone today. And I told her like, this is your Super Bowl, man. Like this, these stretch of like negative days. Like this is when you make all your money. And she kind of laughed and she felt bad, but hell, I wouldn't feel bad. Anyways, um, Mike, yeah. Well, how are, What's going on? How, yeah. <laughs> classic um lynn i know so little about you and i know so little about your podcast you have a podcast am i correct yeah the canadianbitcoiners.com if you want to check out our website or just go on anywhere just type canadian bitcoiners i know very little about myself so it's gonna be hard to really tell anything about us but yeah joey and i we, we've been doing this for uh almost three years now and so we've been hammering away talking uh, about the good stuff of bitcoin trying to orange pill people as much as possible it's been it's been fun. Um, initially, it was a bit of a grind, but then we just picked up and then actually we've been rocking and rolling for the past two years and change. And uh, yeah, we've been, uh, we have a couple of good sponsors with us. One of them, you probably know Bull Bitcoin. They're pretty oh, yeah. popular. Yeah. So we've been uh, talking up the uh, good stuff about the KYC free buys because we could get KYC free buys in Canada quite easy, all thanks to Bull Bitcoin. Yeah. We'll have to get into that actually because I think that's a cool that's true. Uh, way of doing it. And uh, we've had Maddox on before. Uh, we'd love to get, Francis someday. But um, the run of the reasons I said that this interview is kind of a long time coming is because we're pretty disproportionately popular in Canada. When you look at our analytics, <laughs> data, the heat map of who listens and who reaches out and who we've had on as guests, it's been a lot of Canadians. So um, what is... What's that all about? Think, <laughs> no, it's what, a two-part project because number go, one, if you listen... Sorry, Dave. Well, look at the number of Bitcoiners in this space and that are Canadian. We're 
I don't know, for whatever reason, we're pulling our weight more so than other nations are. So there's a lot of Canadians, prominent Canadians, that are in the space of Bitcoin, excluding us, of course, myself and Joey. We're just a couple of jabronis. But the second thing, you guys are, you know, talking about a little bit about uh, getting a, on the, the green lettuce there, the green leaf. And, you know, over here in Canada, we have a lot of different options. We can just go to, and pick it up or, sorry, you can go to stores over here in Canada because it's legal or you can have it delivered to your house. In fact, here's some right here, but this is CBD. I'm a big CBD fan. Not much of the THC variety. This stuff, you can just order, have it sent to your house. No problem. Nobody asks you anything. The government even runs it. So that's why you probably have a, a large number of people listening yeah. and watching just because you mm. just check off for sure. boxes that are very popular with Canadians. One of the, the question I was going to ask was uh, about Canada was, for Mike interrupted me, was uh, what do you, <laughs> why, why do you think, uh, and you mentioned it, that you guys are like pulling your weight. Um, why do you think it is that it's so popular in Canada? I mean, maybe it seems obvious to some people, but from your perspective. I think in the, just generally in the techs, anything with tech related, Canada seems to be very prominent in those spaces and Bitcoin kind of lends itself to that. And also I, I would like to say that over here in Canada, that our dollar, a Canadian dollar hasn't been doing all that well in comparison to the US dollar lately. And not only that, our economy has been sputtering too in comparison to the US and also other global economies, other economies that are prominent throughout the world. So people are trying to look for alternatives in which way they could store their wealth and uh, their time, effort and energy. And Bitcoin seems like a very good alternative rather than the traditional buying gold or buying something else that's hard assets. In Canada, it's very, very common for people to buy real estate, but now yeah. real estate price is just getting so darn high, number one. And number two, there could be a rug pull coming in the not too distant future. I have no inside knowledge of this, but you just look at the counterparty risk for holding on to real estate. Uh, you don't tend to have that if you have Bitcoin properly secured on, you know, taken out into cold storage and you never expose your keys. So Bitcoin does have a lot of properties that are, that appeal to Canadians just because, you know, we like tech and well, we're getting wrecked <laughs> economically. Yeah. And, and Canada is also one of the most energy rich countries in the world. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And even though, I mean, you guys have invested tons into oil pipelines, the tar sands, everything. But because of the government, would you consider, I mean, I would consider that there's a lot of stranded energy in Canada that is not being properly utilized, efficiently used uh, to benefit Canadians and just for markets in general, right? And Bitcoin is maybe slowly starting to fix that, would you Would you say? What's, the, um, what's, it, what's that industry like up there from what you know? Well, the energy sector is very prominent. We have not just energy, but just in total, we have a lot of natural resources in Canada that, that we can tap into and start utilizing to generate wealth for us. But if you look at the the way things are shaping up over here politically, they seem to be trying to shun that away. In fact, if you look at, I'm not sure if you heard about this, but in 2035, they're going to do away with all internal combustion engine cars. If you're going to buy a new a new car as of 2035 in Canada, it's going to have to be electric. So it, it, the province of Alberta, which right now is going through a deep freeze, they're literally sitting on or standing on an abundance of oil and natural gas. And just because of ideas, policies, and the way that things are trending over there in Alberta, this deep freeze caused a lot of people to not 
heat their homes with electricity because they weren't they weren't able to generate enough electricity to meet the demand. It's it's incredible that they're doing that. So they're basically standing on energy. Of all places, yeah, like Canadians yeah. can't heat their homes in the winter. They're telling people to not charge their electric cars over there because that's a huge draw on the grid and to try to limit the use of space heaters or else you're going to have brownouts and blackouts as a result. So yeah, so we have all this energy. We should be able to tap into it and utilize it. But for whatever reason, we're, it just seems to be not the thing we want to do. I always say you, you want to highlight your strengths and you want to hide your weaknesses. Our energy, our excessive energy we have here is not our weakness. We should be embracing this as much as possible, tapping into this, utilizing this as much as possible. Oil, natural gas, nuclear, we're not. But And how Bitcoin fits into this? Well, if we're going to expand our electrical grid, we have to, given the fact we're going to be plugging in all these electric cars in the next decade, a good way to have a base load is with Bitcoin miners. It's energy intensive, but you don't have to run it a full bore. You can basically reduce it when there's demand for electricity elsewhere. And when there's not, you increase the amount of energy that's being directed to Bitcoin miners. It just makes sense. If we could use this and do it and have the government actually run this, well, I think that's a win-win, but I don't think it's going to happen. Too bad. Uh, yeah, I listen to, when I listen to your podcast, you guys often um, complain about the the political situation or you just make fun of how absurd it is. Uh, both in the United States and Canada, but why, from your perspective, living in Toronto, like why hasn't there been more political turbulence considering just the, how inept things are being run both in both places, but especially Canada? I think that we're coming to a point that people are fed up and it's easy to, to increase um, carbon tax or institute carbon tax, which they've done in Canada. It seems like a lot of places in the world, what is this? But we're paying for our carbon usage. And the theory behind it is if you're going to use carbon, you're going to pay for it. And then, you know, theoretically, it's, you're going to try to divert away from that and go to something that's more energy, less energy uh, intensive. But the reality is you can't get away from that. So now we're stuck with these policies. We're going to be paying for carbon taxes and other things like that. People are now fed up. It's easy to do it when the economy is running okay. When the economy starts to falter, which it has in the past few years, then the cracks in the system become very noticeable when people now have to work two jobs, when people can't even work two jobs and can't afford to pay for the food to sustain yourself, or people getting evicted, people squatting in homes because they're renting and they can't afford to rent and just <clears> going <throat> to squat here. And th- that is a real problem here in Ontario. The, the, te- the uh, tenant laws are very, very strong that you're able to do that and stay there for almost indefinitely. So people are now getting fed up to what's going on. And in terms of who's in power, typically when you know the economy tends to sputter, which is now doing in Canada, you tend to punish those in, in, in power. And Trudeau, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, is the one that's probably going to take the fall come next election. But we're not going to have another election for another year and a half or so. It's 2025, the latter mm-hmm. half, when it's scheduled. Oh, wow. So... What we have now is essentially he's going to be running with this show for the next year and a half. For better or for worse, maybe he could turn it around, maybe he can't. I don't know. I don't have the crystal ball. But it, people are very upset. So based on that, I think there's going to be a change even on the uh, side of Trudeau. Trudeau may decide to change his ways and not institute such policies that would be harmful to the economy. Perhaps even something short term that would be beneficial 
the money printer. If they do that, look out. Lower interest rates, increase the monetary supply, it's going to be good times for all. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Trudeau, I mean, whether it's his fault or not, or whether he exacerbates it or not, he's one person. Like He is not the only reason that there's problems in his country. So like, even if he was replaced with Polyvere, for example, like, do you think realistically that that would be a huge change that that would turn around the way things are run? Or do you think it, you know, it's a machine that is going to take a long time for that ship to be, you know, turned around? I don't think the ship will ever be turned around because in Canada, just like in the United States, we have two parties yeah. that have ever governed, no, not ever, that has governed in the past Canada, actually, it's ever governed. In the United States, it's been like that for the past 150 years or so. So the reality is, whatever we have now today is a result of either the two parties. Now, Pierre is part of the other party. Do you think he's going to come in with some new ideas that's going to change anything? Probably not. And furthermore, he is cut from the cloth of politics. His vocation, he's only worked in politics. So what new ideas is he going to bring to the table that's going to change anything? It's all going to be the retread stuff, the, the stuff that's been tried, tested and true. To get us to this point, it's not like you're having a Donald Trump, somebody from the outside come in with some unique ideas. I'm not just saying Donald Trump was able to, to solve anything or was on the path to solving anything, but you need something like that. I think you need somebody from the outside coming in with a whole new set of ideas that is not a, a servant to the people that are donating, the, the pharmas, the yeah. big oil, the, sh the shit like that. You need somebody fresh. But uh, unfortunately, is not that. Yeah, and you bring up Trump, and it's a great example because uh, he, I think he's on track to probably win again. And he, but he had his four years, and they weren't great. He didn't do much. I mean, he was he was all bluster. Um, and because, like I said, you it's you can't one person can't do it all. And I think people are the their idea of democracy is like, all right, you can just show up <clears throat> once every four years, and you know, pick one of the two people that the state says gets to be on the ballot. Uh, you don't have, you can tune everything out. You can ignore the news, whatever. You just show up once every four years, vote, make things better. And that's just not how it works. And so it doesn't matter who you keep putting in at the top. It doesn't, it's not going to turn around until people realize that they've got to take accountability for themselves, their families, their communities. And it kind of, you have to start from there and it's not going to be fixed anytime soon. You got to be in it for the long haul, low time preference shit. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think to, to, to kind of steer us in a new direction here, I don't know if this is a good segue or not, but I think it's similar to the ETF. Like there's this, it's been a few days since the ETF came out. Everybody was expecting fireworks, man. They were expecting the, the God candle and it, uh, it dropped, but it didn't, it didn't plummet. Like it didn't drop into the thirties, but it, it's been just kind of anticlimactic. Um, but I'm, I'm curious your thoughts and my, I'll share mine first and we'll see what you think it's just i think that anybody who was dying itching to buy had already bought they'd bought long ago they'd bought it's easy to do you just go to whether you can just go to coinbase you can do it peer-to-peer -peer. there's a million ways to do it anybody who really wanted to buy it was going to buy it this etf comes out and i think long term it can absorb a lot of flows and, and affect the price in a meaningful uh, have a meaningful impact on it but it's going to take time because nobody was just waiting refreshing Charles Schwab waiting to fucking hit buy on that ETF. Like people who wanted it, wanted it. Now more people will be exposed into it and funneled into it, but it's, it's not going to happen this week. Great. 
this thing, people had these grand aspirations of what was supposed to happen once the ETF went live and even leading up to it. Mm -hmm. The reality is nothing has transpired to what these guys were imagining it to be. Nothing. Let's go back a few months though before we really dive deep into this. The price of Bitcoin. I think that's the, the signal that a lot of people look at with respect to Bitcoin. It may be not the, the thing we should be looking at, the stuff we're building, it should be the stuff we're really looking at. But the, the, the real signal a lot of people like is the price. Now, the price of Bitcoin for the most part last year, 2023, was stuck in the range between 25-ish and 35-ish. For a long time, it was just stuck there for whatever reason. It didn't really move until November. And at that point, it, it was when BlackRock made the announcement, yeah, we're going to go ahead with this ETF. And since then, the price of Bitcoin continually climbed up for the next two months. So there was a lot of excitement right up the time BlackRock said, let's go ahead with the ETF. So that's that created a whole bunch of stir, a lot of buzz, and a little bit of pump in the price. In right. terms of what we have now, though, it's now live. It's an, it's an event where you uh, buy the rumor, sell the news. I think that's what we have now. What's going to happen moving forward? I'm not exactly sure, but what I'm scared of is that now you have Wall Street managing a heck of a lot of Bitcoin, and it's a honeypot, right? If if the government wants to do, if they want to do what they did to gold in the 1930s, they could do the same thing, and now it's easy to do. It's not like they have to go to every individual hodler out there and get their Bitcoin. They could just go to BlackRock. They could just go to not Ben Eck. There are no coiners, but you could go to uh, Kathy Woods uh, Arc. It's, it's easy now to, to capture that Bitcoin. That's something that to me is a rather concerning. And you're right. Anybody that wanted to ha get Bitcoin before, they could have. There was nothing stopping them from doing it. If a business or individual wanted to get Bitcoin before, they could easily do it. We run a business, Joy and I do. And we're, we have Bitcoin on our balance sheet and we're a small business. And if we could fucking do it, anyone could do it. It's not that hard. So I, I don't know exactly what's what people are imagining what should have happened with this ETF. But the reality is it's a huge disappointment in my eyes. Then on top of that, I don't want to go in, I don't, don't want to go too much too deep into this, but I have to. We have the, the Franklin Simpleton today with the fucking tweets that came out. Holy fuck. Who's running that account? It's like a kid that went to look at some, you know, it would basically somebody's running it. He's like, okay, went to their son. Son, what's what's uh, very popular these days? Oh, ETH, Solana, shit like that. Okay, let's fucking do a tweet about that. These guys are tweeting about NFTs. They're tweeting about Solana. They're tweeting about Ethereum. They're tweeting about blockchain garbage. This is the Wall Street we've opened up the door to handle our fucking Bitcoin. What a fucking joke this is. I have no faith in them advancing this. If anything, they're going to fucking make this any much worse. So the reality is people out there, do your fucking research. Don't buy the ETF if you can, if you could avoid it. Fucking learn how to, to buy Bitcoin. Put it in cold storage. Don't expose the keys. You're going to be fucking gold if you do that. If not, you're going to get wrecked if you're going to rely on these guys to protect your, your money and protect your Bitcoin. Because the reality is who the fuck knows that they even have it? You're going to ask them to give them... Uh, U.S. dollars to buy Bitcoin. Are they buying it one-to-one? -one? We don't know. This is Bitcoin. We verify it. We don't trust. This fucking Bitcoin ETF is a total trust and it's trash in my opinion. Yeah, I. it's funny going back to um, 
before it was approved and it was almost like conspiracy like who's who are the institutions that are front running blackrock right now who's front running blackrock why is this price going up and it's it was funny because it was it wasn't a conspiracy it was all of us it was every pleb every company every michael saylor it was everybody who knew that the etf was coming and they were expecting this big event and they were trying to front run blackrock it was just all of us and that it turned out that we were the only ones that were interested still the demand is still not there to just appear overnight right so then the etf comes out and it's eh, flat to down disappointment people thought they were going to scalp some of them took their profits and they moved on but and you know you make a lot of good points about the the dangers and the risks and the the just the fiat nature of the etf but one thing is i think i'm a little less or i'm a little more optimistic about it um when you're talking about like the price suppression and that's very much true there's the, the and the incentive is also there but people weren't watching the the blockchain for gold right the market for gold to to see where gold was really flowing was this physical gold moving around and it it would be easy to deceive but there is a lot of eyes on you know as you could see just in every headline that came out um the fake tweets people or their eyes were glued to this to the screen so to speak waiting for this news reading keeping up with the the etf news and there's going to be people watching and there currently are the, in, the inflows, the outflows every single day from all of these institutions looking at the Coinbase, the the chain analysis, they're tracking it. And they're going to get better at tracking it. So I think they'll definitely try to do the suppression tactics or techniques and tactics. Um, I just think it'll be harder to do with, as with everything with Bitcoin because there's just so many people watching it. And I think um, that same with with Franklin Simpleton, that's a, which is a funny name. Um, it's... <laughs> They they started tweeting about it and they exposed themselves as idiots, right? Yes. Um, and and everybody just immediately it's been two weeks or not even two weeks, a couple of days, and everybody's like, oh, these guys are idiots. They don't know what they're doing. They, they Franklin Templeton has um, its reputation has been soiled a little bit, and it'll keep uh, getting worse as they keep putting this out and people keep making fun of them and, and it, seeing that they've exposed themselves. Um, so I think yeah, I just think the the attention and the focus. Um, the, all the eyes on it that it's 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 harder to use for criminals but it's also harder to suppress for state actors in wall street too you know so i don't know i mean i still don't recommend it but um i guess i'm not as this negative about what it means for the broader uh community well in terms of price suppression i'm oh, sorry mike you want to go ahead no i i, I... I was only going to say the, the the laser eyes is is the big thing the, the big giveaway you know that's the big funny giveaway is like we all if you put laser eyes on yourself you you are setting a standard and you abide by it and if you go off of that standard we all we all know it if you put the laser eyes on right you have to act a certain you have to say the right things and if you, the second you deviate you are exposed right you're revealed. That was an awful take when they put the laser eyes on their logo. Right away, you knew that this thing was just not going to get any better. And it, it was a gimmick. It, yeah, it's, it's just all a mark. It's all marketing. It's all it's all a meme, really. It should now, in terms of price suppression or anything along those lines, I I don't. That doesn't bother me. That's not in my equation. That's I don't sure. really think about that. Whatever happens with the price, happens. I I really sure, don't sure. really care. And a lot of people are looking to the gold ETF some 15 years, 20 years ago, whenever it came out and it crab walked for the first little while and then it just zoomed off and they're trying to say there might be the same thing happening this time. Who knows? History could repeat itself, but there's also another thing to consider is 
at that time, and still to this day, the United States government holds, or at least claims to hold, a large uh, reserve of gold, and they right. can't say the same with right. Bitcoin. They do have some Bitcoin, but with respect to what they claim to hold for gold, can't verify it, to be honest. Um, right, and it's probably not there. A lot of people think that Foreign Ox is empty, and I mean, it's, I, I, I don't doubt it. Yeah, I mean, I can't say one or another, and even if it's there, is it really gold too? I mean, that's another right. thing, because Again, I, there's no gold node you could run to verify that they have it. But that, that's something it's so a lot of people are making comparisons there, but it's hard for me to make a, a direct comparison. The reality is the price of Bitcoin is going to go where it is. We have a halving coming this year. We have the money printer that's probably going to go nuts because you have an election taking place this year. So there's a lot of variables taking place. But to, to just talk about the ETF specifically, it's in my opinion, like it's a total shit show from the SEC from one day early releasing that tweet to now we have the Franklin Simpleton garbage going on. There's nothing I see from this that is good. We're, we're applying fiat solutions to Bitcoin when we don't need it. We should be going away from that. And some people are looking at the ETF as a way to scale Bitcoin. I can't see that as a reality. That's If anything, it's, it's just like, as I mentioned, it's a fiat solution. It's, you can't do trust in a system where we're trying to do verify. It, it doesn't make sense. So I, I don't know. This whole ETF... It's just another saga in the history of Bitcoin. I don't think it's really going to change anything in the end. You're going to have big money probably try to influence the direction of how it's being developed. I forget which mm. one of the uh, ETF providers are going to be directing somebody to. Um, I think it's multiple. Vanek, um, Bitwise, and what? I think even BlackRock, yeah. So when you're doing that- Probably all of them by the end of the day. They, as they should, it may only makes sense because if you do that, then you kind of influence and sway how the direction is moving forward. And why would they not want to do that? If they don't do that, they're going to totally lose control of what they have. Right now, they have a large amount of power. Why would they do anything, make any moves whatsoever to diminish that power over time? On the contrary, they should do something to try to maintain or grow that power. And funding Bitcoin development is one way to do it. I if I was in their position, I'd do the exact same thing, but I'm not. I'm looking at that, and I'm looking at that, and I'm wondering, what the heck are they doing? Why are, why are they doing this? And there's, there's something behind it. I just don't know what's going on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's people are um, kind of pointing to the fact that they're donating through like OpenSats and Human Rights Foundation and these other charities instead of you know directly paying developers from their firm accounts. I don't think that matters. I don't think that billions of dollars, millions of dollars, it doesn't matter how many companies or uh, organizations it flows through, fiat corrupts everything it touches. So <clears throat> it's not like it's not like that's going to actually meaningfully prevent any corruption or any negative incentives. But at the same time, I think that's it's all relative. I mean, you could go back a few years, the past decade before Bitcoin got too huge, and there was still powerful interest with a lot vested. In Bitcoin, um, that did have influence on it, and Blockstream is one of them. Um, you know, the Bitcoin companies, uh, and there's there's multiple others. But and now with ordinals, right? Like different organizations that are benefiting from ordinals and the miners themselves, um, they're influencing the development and the the everything else in the in the Bitcoin space. So we survived so far. Do you think that it's going to be any harder now with Wall Street getting their fingers in it? I think it's going to muddy the waters even further. 
without that, if you look at where we stood two weeks ago before this ETF went or these ETFs went live, the community was, in my eyes, somewhat fractured. You mentioned ordinals, and there's always talk about is it spam? Is it something we should be filtering? When Luke Dashir came out with his ocean mining and initially they was filtering it altogether, people were some people were very happy and some were not so happy because I could understand both sides of the argument because number one, it is spam in my opinion, but it's still legal, not legal, uh, legitimate transactions. It's not going against consensus and network rules. It every node, as long as you don't do anything, would be able to process and validate those transactions. And but it's still, winning it's in spam. the fee market. It's winning in the fee market. It is paying the higher fees and it is doing it in a way that at least up until now uh, seems to be efficient outside just, you know, what you would see uh, looking at the, the, you know, thinking about it from a Bitcoin standpoint. But anyways, to can, can, please continue. I just wanted to point that out that mm. it's, um, it's, yeah. it's not, I don't, I'm worried. It's, it's, you know, it's more legitimate than people are giving it credit for. Not necessarily that that's good or bad, just that it's, it's got staying power. It does because as you know, we've met, you mentioned it's paying for legitimate transactions and anybody can do that right now. But there's also the argument that there, it's a bug, so to, so to speak, a bug in the system. I'm not saying that it is. There are people that are making this, this claim. Sure. Sure. Um, and the, the way forward, I, I don't see, I mean, I could just go a little bit deeper into this topic. I don't think anything should happen. If you look at what happened, just let this thing play out. People have to spend their capital to mm -hmm. keep this running. And there's only a certain amount of Bitcoin out there. Is you're not, you are paying, I would assume, first you're exchanging fiat for Bitcoin to get this thing rolling. But eventually, once fiat is worthless and you have to use Bitcoin only to continually bankroll this, there's only 21 million Bitcoin. And who the heck's going to want to spend their Bitcoin to, to put on a stupid 8, pi 8 bit picture? On Bitcoin, it makes no sense to do so. So, if people want to do it until they run out of their capital, fine, well, be all, all the more power to you. But eventually, you'll run out, and then you'll be standing on fucking nothing. So, I just let this thing run out. It will just work its course. Nothing will ha happen in the end. But now we have Wall Street in it. I, I don't know if that's going to change anything. Are they going to be pushing this? Uh, looking at a Franklin Templeton, what they're talking about. They mentioned NFTs, if I recall correctly, in one of the tweets. So, they might be more interested in this stuff. So, it could be a whole influx of capital trying to fund this shit and yeah. money the water do we need more transactions put on the blockchain fuck no we gotta re reduce it if at all pot at least the spam the fucking garbage because there are people that are trying to make legitimate transactions trying to make a peer-to-peer -peer transaction trying to open or close a lightning channel and yeah. they're being precluded from this or priced out to, to do something because some fucking idiot has a lot more money and just want to put a picture on the blockchain and they're doing this not only that they're doing this at a discount that's the fucking, that's the real problem here is that they're using Right, right. The, yeah. The witness like, discount. So that, that's fucking bullshit. If, if that didn't exist, if, if if there was no discount and they're paying the same as anybody else would pay, fuck, I'm fine with that. But they're getting discount. Somebody else is fucking paying for this. That's fucking a travesty. I, I Somehow, I would love to see something done moving forward. I don't know if it's possible or if it will, do, will be done, but just for justice, I'd love to see something change moving forward. Yeah, well, I think the one of the main problems we face right now is that I think you can boil it down to everything you just said is that we need to find more efficient use of the block space that we have. Um, and generating value on whether it's in your daily life, you create a layer two 
some sort of fediment, some sort of network. I mean, because everything's a layer two. Anything that interacts with the the time chain is is a Let's layer on top, fediment. right? So I, I, I want to talk about fediment because yeah, I want to sure. hear your thoughts on that. Because personally, to me, I'm looking at that. That's a trust model. I want, and I'm not a big fan of anything to do with trust. But I want to hear your right. thoughts on that. No, I think, but this is a complicated one because I I I hear what you're saying, and I agree. I like limiting trust or having to trust somebody else is uh, you want to limit that as much as possible. But at the same time, it's in real life, you can't do everything alone. There is a amount of trust that you have to have with certain people um, to to live, I think, a prosperous and happy life and to be more efficient. Um, so I'm talking about like your family, uh, your com- your direct community, your, your extended family, maybe your, your church or your uh, jujitsu, whatever. And I think that it's going to be very expensive to try to buy a cup of coffee on, you know, layer one in, in the near future. And I don't think that it's efficient to use, you know, a single transaction, uh, Segwit or otherwise, to buy a cup of coffee and put that in one, we only got one megabyte every 10 minutes, right? Like that's, it's not for cups of coffee, right? But so, if you you could you could have small circular economies with fediments, whether it's your family, because you you know your parents aren't just gonna you're, they're not gonna do the the work to self custody, but you've got a fediment for your family and your extended family, almost like your cell phone plan, or your <clears throat> something at your church, or like I said, your community, where you can have a, like a, a federation in that limited scope of people you trust and that you have to trust that you can't afford not to trust. So why not you know utilize block space more efficiently using community and using like this network effect that I'm talking about at a micro scale and you can expand it with limited uh, amounts of trust. Um, you know, you could chain that. I don't know. There's, that's how I feel about it personally, but what, you know, I think at a broader scale, there's a trust problem. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I hear what you're saying and I hear that there's, um, there's a reason to use it and it does limit the amount of transactions being put on chain, which ultimately which we should be trying to find solutions for that. But I'm not even, you know, you're, you're trusting people that you, sh- you know, very well. It just, the, the problem I have is it just you give a little bit of people, a little a person, um, a little bit of power. They could rug you at any time. They, there's enough yeah. incentive sometimes. It's always there. Yeah. And that, I, I want to eliminate that. I want to, in my eyes, I think we're at a point, I mean, if it's a technical thing and you just don't have the know-how, okay, I could hide a stomach using something like that. But the reality is, and we're as a civilization, at least in North America, we're pretty technically savvy. We're able to yeah. generate 24 words or 12 words, stamp it on some piece of steel and go from there. But it, it, using, you know, using on-chain to transact a cup of coffee does not make sense. It, it's not efficient. It's not efficient now. It's going to be even less efficient moving forward. And another option, lightning, it, I'm not sure it could scale. You know, if, right. if you look at the white paper, for instance, it talks about that if you're going to have a, I forget the number they say on there in terms of how many people are opening and closing channels to a year, you'd have to have 133 megabyte blocks. Obviously, we don't have that. We have only one plus the, the witness data. So we, we could have four megabyte blocks, but it's yeah, far yeah. from 130. Sure. So Lightning doesn't scale. So they're talking about uh, Lightning Channel Factory. I think it's the uh, Channel Factories or Lightning. I think that's what they're talking yeah, about yeah. as a way to, yeah. to 
but these are solutions that we haven't yet figured out that still need to be implemented moving forward. So yeah, we definitely have problems right now with using the on-chain and even the solutions to um, to transact quickly, cheaply, effectively. Another one that people are talking about, and I'm not a big fan of, is so you talk covenants. No, nah, that's no. that. I, I, I have, you know what? I'm indifferent right now to that. I've heard some good and bad, especially with CTB, but more so liquid. Liquid. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I just I just used Aqua Wallet for the first time this week. Uh, it's it's not bad. Well, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. We talked very bad about the Aqua Wallet. It's number one. Okay. Aqua. So without taking uh, look, look at the terms of service. If you look at the terms of service on Aqua Wallet, you'll see that there is data that you're gathering. Now, what you're doing with the data, I'm not sure. They're saying they're not going to be using it as a way to sell it in. That's fine. But the reality is they're gathering data. Your IP. Your maybe it'll, maybe they're not going to sell. Maybe it gets hacked. Maybe they're not going to give it to the government. Maybe they get you know a gun put to their head. They've got it now. They've got it now. They. It doesn't matter what they want to do with it. Something's going to happen to it. And why would I want to give up that information when I could use alternatives? Is for example, if I run my own Bitcoin full node and then I can run a Lightning node and I can connect to it with Zeus, I'm keeping all the information internal to myself. I'm not giving up any email address, any IP address, if, especially if I run a VPN and Tor. It's all hidden. So using Aqua, the terms of service is a huge red flag. Number one. Number two, at least at, when it first came out, I don't know if it's changed, it was not open source. So right. they said they were going to be releasing the code. They were having, you know, there's a lot of uh, work that needs to be done to get that out the door. And I can respect that, but it wasn't open source at the time it was released. Right. So if you can't audit the code, you don't know what's going on. That's that's a huge red flag. Another one. The third one they have is shitcoin support. Now, you could talk about Tether being this or that. It's a shitcoin. It's a centralized shitcoin. I understand there's utility to it, but it's a fucking shitcoin. And I'm going to argue the same with Liquid. It's a fucking shitcoin. It's not Bitcoin. You're trusting the Federation, the Liquid Federation, to do it. They're, it's a one-to-one. -one, um, they're claiming it's a one-to-one -one thing, but they could change it at any time. Remember, number two, I'm not sure how it is in the US, but in Canada, the second you exchange Bitcoin for something else, be it Canadian dollars, US dollars, even a shitcoin, it's a taxable event. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if the same applies in the United States. Yeah. But if you're trading Bitcoin for liquid or liquid to Bitcoin, that's a taxable event. Yep. Theoretically, you have to you have to tell that to the tax man. Right. But not doing so. Now they have that information. It puts you at risk. Correct. And they have your IP address, they have your your email address, they have all this shit from the terms of service. I, I don't trust that. I totally, I'd rather deal 100% with Bitcoin. Lightning, maybe limiting, yes, but it's still, it's a, a pre-signed two of two multi-sig transaction. At any time, any of the two channel operators could say, I want to close the channel and it's done. It's going to be settled on chain. It may not be efficient when you do that, but it's done. That's fucking Bitcoin. That's the world I want to live in. I don't want to deal with fucking shit coins like, uh, like Liquid, like Tether, and Including that on Aqua is just ah, too many red flags. Yeah, I um, I this would be I, a good point to go into the Solana commercial right here. Yeah, but, oh, but I'm talking about Solana. But I'm but I'm not going to go into the Solana commercial. So no, I was gonna say, I was gonna say that I I'm with you 100 percent. Um, and whenever possible and and under 
most considerations, I, uh, I try to strive to that, you know, perfect setup of privacy, um, self-custody, um, and sovereignty. But I think coming at it from a, a realistic perspective, and I don't want to say defeatist, but, um, you know, sometimes that's a, that's a, a blurry line, um, is that we're gonna have to make, uh, or we're, we're gonna have to compromise, uh, at different levels, um, in our lives because yes, they are going to figure, I mean, it is likely that humans will, uh, solve the problems and come up with technology to, uh, use the, that block space more efficiently to be able to d interact with it, um, in a sovereign way at, at the cheapest way possible, but that's not going to come tomorrow. And it's not going to be like a magic overnight where it's, you know, everybody can have the ETXO. So if you want to spend, you know, $15 worth, for example, or $50 worth of, of sats to pay for a $5 coffee, um, or to, to have that, you know, more greater set of privacy, um, you know, you're gonna have to decide if, is, is it worth paying that much? Is it worth paying $50 so I don't get rugged for five? Uh, so people are going to make the economically rational decision. Most people will to use these um, these technologies that are that require more trust and that put you at more risk and put more of your information at risk. Um, but I guess you know how do we do our best to make sure that these easier, cheaper to use technologies limit as much trust as possible, limit as much risk as possible should we are we paying enough attention to building those solutions in the meantime no look, yeah. look at what's going on right now people are sacrificing convenience all the time for making things a little bit easier and uh, sorry sacrificing privacy for convenience all the time they're doing this look at your phones look at computers everyone's doing it right mm -hmm. and it's a slippery slope it's not like you're going to get it back later on you just you're just going to make it easier and easier and you're going to have to sacrifice more and more and you could just continually go down that path look a long time ago when when us dollar used to be backed by gold it was fine but then they made it a little bit took it a little bit away a little bit less uh is less back less back less back by uh and it just it's kind of the same thing and eventually they just let it go loose in 1971 the same thing's going to happen with this they're going to give you a little bit okay and then you give up some privacy and make it easier Give a little bit more privacy to make it a little bit easier. And then what? We're back to a fiat system where you're just trusting everybody wholeheartedly and you don't know what you own. When you go to the bank, try to, to redeem your, or get your Bitcoin out, they'll say, sorry, we, we have fractional reserve over here. And now somebody else has it and you're fucked. So I, I, it's a, a slippery slope. We should not be going down this path. We should be trying to find, I know it's easy to say at this particular moment, but we should be funding and helping out as much as possible to build on the solutions so we're able to use it moving forward. Is it possible to achieve it in the next little while? I don't know, but this is something we should be striving for. We have an opportunity here to really change the monetary system, to revamp it, to revolutionize it. We, we can't fuck it up. Is Once we do, once it's fucked up, you're not going to be able to fix it. This is a one-shot deal. And so we have to teach people, don't trust verify have to teach people how to use the tools that are available to them they are they, they readily are available to them granted they're not ready for prime time but bitcoin is still you know what is it 15 years old 
this year, this month. So it's still relatively new. There's a lot that's going to be growing on this. And what's going to be transpiring, I, I don't know. There's going to be some solutions that are going to be implemented or uh, suggested by a whole bunch of people. Some are going to be good. Some are going to be bad. We just have to. And it's another thing, too. Whoever's proposing a solution, don't look at who's saying it. Look at the message. Look at what's being proposed. Just because somebody that's prominent in the community is saying something doesn't mean it's good. It's just because somebody has laser eyes doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> good time. If that's the case, I'd be listening to Franklin Templeton and giving them all my money to buy an ETF. But thankfully, I'm not. But a lot of people who have, have earned or purchased a big reputation, um, right? Like now they, they slap on the laser eyes and they can they can fool a lot of people. I mean, think about the YouTube channels and the just all the scammers all over the place that are just, when you read what they're talking about, like they're the biggest idiots. You can't believe how many people would listen to what they have to say. It'd be influenced by them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'll admit that when I first came in the space, I listened to Pomp and he kind of got me interested in the space. But looking back on it, it's like I'm glad that I just kind of got bored with his brand. And I was like, eh, I'm moving on. This this isn't for me. But I mean, he was, uh, you know, he led so many people to BlockFi, uh, Celsius, these other places. But yeah, it, like you said, it's, uh, there's a lot more people that are going to be having their eyes on Bitcoin in the next few years. And they're going to, it's going to be shilled to them and sold to them by people they trust uh, currently, advisors, uh, Fidelity, BlackRock, all of these pillars, these institutions of our global society. And I think hype, I think Bitcoin starts to take over when all of these large players, these large trusted institutions of, you know, with generations of, of built up reputations um, try to sell Bitcoin to people and it, everybody sees just how clueless they are and how they, they, they do not deserve to be, they do not, they do not deserve the reputations they have. It's going to all crumble. Yeah. It, it's, it's if somebody like Pombo, use him as an example, he's a charlatan, right? But he, he's a slick talking charlatan. So you listen to him yeah. and it doesn't take much for somebody to say, yeah, you know what? He's, you see him on, on CNBC or whatever fucking channel he's on. And you're like, yeah, you know what? This guy makes sense. But the reality, he's shilling garbage. Like, as you mentioned, BlockFi. And unfortunately, people are going to get rugged in the process because they're trusting these people with using the products they're promoting. It's, it's up to us. The onus is on us to fucking call them out and to try to educate as many people as possible to show them why shit like that is not good for you in the long run. And these financial advisors out there, as you actually talked about, that are going to be selling products like Bitcoin-related products moving that, forward. That pump their bags. They're, that's what they're doing. They're, they're not there to help out their clients. They're there to help themselves out, number one, and number two, their employer. And if they could help out their clients at the same time, that's a huge bonus because they'll be getting return business in the future. But the reality is that, that they're trying to make money for themselves. I could respect that, but... Let's be honest, if you're going to be trusting them, those people, to get you to financial freedom, you might, you're going, you're barking up the wrong tree. I mean, yeah, the, they'll benefit from Bitcoin products more than anything else. They're going to be shilling nothing but it soon because, like what you said, they, they're trying to make money for themselves and their, their employer. They have a fiduciary duty to help you, but they can do both of those things 
and take a bigger, fatter fee from you, then you are, yeah, you're still benefiting marginally. That's all that matters to them. You could be benefiting a great bigger deal if you did it the right way, if you sell, if you just bought it and, and did it self-sovereignly. And I think to sum up what I went on a long-winded rant right before that to say is that I think that Bitcoin wins because the institutions um, expose and humiliate themselves, not by attacking it, but by promoting it and promoting it like idiots and ruining people's lives. And people are going to see that the people who did it the right way, who did it sovereignly, uh, are not facing the consequences they are. Once the reputation is tarnished, they'll have no way to recover because they're going to be totally exposed for what they are. There's so many people out there. And that's the fourth turning. Just in case you get in trouble, but we name it on our podcast all the fucking time, all these fucking pricks. They're out there just to, they're fiat maximalists. They're not Bitcoiners. They're there to pump their bags. And it's it's too bad that they're prominent individuals in this space. They're the first people people go to for asking questions and listening to, to, to what they're saying. They're the wrong people you should be listening to. Look, it's so fucking easy to buy Bitcoin and keep it in cold storage, to learn the art of cold storage. It's so fucking easy. This is something we sh- we used to do. We used to keep our money and put it in our mattress. We never used to put it in the bank. Fucking even if we had gold, we used to put it away. Now we're just reliant on these centralized entities to hold on to our wealth. This is it's a recent phenomenon. Now, granted, it's been several generations to, that we've had this and trying to go away from this seems to be very abnormal. But it it is truly abnormal if you look at the human history. This is not what we've done. Keeping your your own wealth, holding on to it, like what you can do with Bitcoin. This is the way it should be. It's and it's so fucking easy to do. Like twelve or twenty-four words. How hard is that? And nobody could take that away from you. If you really wanted to go to the to the nth degree and remember those words, and it's easy to do. People remember uh, silly songs like the Alphabet Song. You could do the same thing for these twelve words or twenty-four words, and you could go from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Nobody could rug you. This is. Incredible. Try doing that with gold. You can probably do a little bit, but the most part, you can only shove so much up your ass. So there's only so much wealth you can carry from fucking jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Bitcoin, you can just say, fuck you to that. Go somewhere else. Live your dreams. And don't get rubbed to your process. But yeah, like I, I, that's my rant about it. There's there's yeah. so much we have to do to teach people. Unfortunately, they're listening to the wrong yeah. fucking losers out there. They're giving the wrong advice, and they're telling them to use BlockFi and shit like that. Good in the short term, I'm so I guess, but in the long run, you get fucked. Uh, it's the the further away you get from using Bitcoin directly and just broadcasting your own transactions, verifying your own transactions, uh, self custodying. The further away you get from that, the the less you pay attention, the less you have to pay attention, or the less you think you have to pay attention, the less you have control over, the less you're responsible for. And you, whether it's BlockFi, whether it's leaving just your your coins on an exchange, whether it's an ETF or these other products, the further away you get from it, the less you are paying close attention to the details. Um, and I think that Bitcoin fixes money by making people pay attention to money again. And that's the way that it works, right? Like if everybody's watching the blockchain, the transactions, the, tran- uh, the transaction fees, um, volume, who's moving what, paying attention to where their keys are it's you just can't fuck with that it's i mean you can fuck with it you can 
corrupt it. it there's ways, but it's much harder. It makes it much harder to fuck with the system. Um, and that's how you fix the system is by making people pay close attention and, and be accountable for their part of the system. And I think until we, and, and that's to tie up what I opened the damn podcast with questions about was everybody was looking to the ETF, the way they look at um, politicians. It's like the president, the king, the prime minister, the ETF, somebody save me, the state save me. The state's not going to save you. And until we le- until we realize that we have to take this responsibility, yeah, it's a little bit more complicated. Um, it takes a lot of effort. You're going to be paranoid that you don't have the right security set up. You're going to be paranoid that people are getting your IP and, and following your transaction. It, all of that's going to happen. You're going to have to worry about taxes and, and, and hackers. Yes, all of that is true. I am not going to tell you that that's not true. However, until you take that personal responsibility and accept it, you can't just abdicate it and put it on the politician or the ETF or the the Wall Street firm to do it for you or and expect things to get better. It's just not going to get better. So you have two choices to make. Which one do you care about? Agreed. And I think that's, it's a good time. I want to bring up something is KYC free Bitcoin because yes, Bitcoin yes. is a open and transparent ledger. You could look at it at any time you want. You could examine it. And if Bitcoin was KYC'd, you could then figure out when and where that Bitcoin was spent just by looking at Bitcoin ledger. It's very simple to do. So some would say then you should use mixing services as a way to, to hide your trails. But another one is, I'm not sure what are what options are available to you in the States, BISC, RoboSats, yeah. other peer-to-peer yeah. exchanges. But If they're peer-to-peer, they're available anywhere. Yeah. You just got to know what you're doing. In Canada, we're blessed. We have other options as well. Yeah. But I don't want to plug our... our our sponsor. Plug them in. It's keywords free sats. And to do the tell, tell do the US the if you're in Canada, how do you go to the post office and get KYC Bitcoin? Yeah. So you, in Canada, you could just simply open up a bull Bitcoin account and without giving too much information, you just make a very generic account. And you could then go to Canada Post, which is our post office over here, exchange your money, you could give them your uh, Canadian dollars, show them a QR code that's pointed to your bull Bitcoin account and uh, they load up then cash onto your bull Bitcoin account. You can then buy KYC free Bitcoin. That's and awesome. It's not tied to any account. If you use VPN and Tor, it's not tied to any IP at that point too. Like you're really hiding your trails if you wanted to, but it doesn't stop you from paying taxes. I want to say this, if you're going to spend your Bitcoin Dang. capital gains applies, taxes apply, it doesn't stop you. But it's just the reason why I'm talking about this, because Bitcoin being an open and transparent ledger is that if you... Theoretically, or like you know, or people know how much Bitcoin you have, they could then find out when and where you're spending it. If you go into the grocery store and you're buying groceries with your Bitcoin, they could then find your habits, how much you're spending, where you're spending it, and you could then maybe be subjected to a five dollar wrench attack because that's more information that's just available to the public. Now, if you bought KYC free Bitcoin and used it, that information is not available. You're hiding that information. When, when, and where you spend it is not available for anybody to see. Only you know it. So it's just another way just to ensure that you have privacy and security if you have KYC free Bitcoin. I would suggest if you have a way to buy it, learn how to do it. It's something that is going to maybe, it's going to be a loop that could be potentially closed in the future. We don't know what's going to happen. These on-ramps are going to be attacked by governments. And certainly, so you're looking at something like RoboSats, BISC, stuff like that. Those could be somehow attacked one way or another. Yeah. 
maybe not closed entirely, but certainly made harder to use. And so KYC free Bitcoin might come with, with a premium that at least buying it. Don't wait until it's too late. Buy it now, stack away. And another thing, don't mix your KYC stack with your KYC free stack. Keep them separate. Find a way to do it. If yeah. you use two, two different hardware wallets, that's fine. Or if you use passphrases, whatever the fuck you have to do, just do it. Make sure you don't mix those two together. Because if you do, it's just defeating the purpose of using KYC free Bitcoin. Yeah. And while we're on the topic of actually giving the listeners useful information instead of just talking thought, think boy uh, ideas. Um, the other thing is there's, it's a big it's trend right now. Us, everybody talks. Yeah. It, it's a, it, it's a big trend. Everybody's it's, it's hip to make sure you consolidate your UTXOs and to wait for the transaction fees to be low. But, uh, one of the risks to that, because it, there is no perfect solutions, there's only trade-offs, um, is if you do have a KYC stack, or even if you don't, if you consolidate all your UTXOs into one or, or few, and you spend from those um, multiple times, whether it's at the store, online, you know, whoever you're transacting with, because you're spending from that single UTXO, that's traceable. People can people can get a clearer idea of which wallet is yours, how much Bitcoin you have, and what you spend it on, and and, that, and when you spend it, and how you spend it. So you have to keep that in mind as well. Um, uh, that when you're thinking about consolidating your UTXOs, if you're not going to touch those, if those are just for savings. One UTXO is great. If you're going to be spending that on a regular basis, you need to start thinking about other solutions. And even if you do have, I mean, the, the perfect way to buy Bitcoin is to never KYC yourself, always have perfect privacy. But most of us have already blown that and we've got a trail, And but we can still obfuscate that. You can still mix, you can still just use atomic swaps with something like Moon Wallet. You could use liquid, you could bounce in and out of liquid, you could go to an exchange, you could sell it and then buy it back. You, know, you could sell your KYC stack and then buy KYC immediately with it. There's all kinds of things you can do. Look into those, be creative, think about it, learn how Bitcoin works, learn how you can use it to your advantage to um, obfuscate that trail because you probably, if you're like me, and I assume like you guys, um, early on, we didn't know best practices and, and there's just, there's that trail out there. Yeah, the K, the DCA was something that we've always heard and even talked about. And unfortunately, that's probably that's a for a long run, it's probably not the best tool because it's going to be you're going to have a lot of UTXO consolidation moving forward. So a strategy which I mean everybody's different. I mean they, don't take this as gospel. Uh, what I would suggest is periodically, every week, every two weeks, every month, whatever it is buy your Bitcoin, at least uh, doing that, consolidating your UTXOs won't be a very costly endeavor. Another thing to do is, it's generally talked about that if you're going to consolidate, do it in 1 million chunks, 1 million sat chunks. Whatever works for you, because if you do it in 1 million sat chunks, it's it enables you to spend it in the future without having it being too costly if the uh, price of transactions do go up. But uh, again, do your own research, figure out what works best for you. If you want to do one big consolidation or just have multiples of the million sats each, um, e either strategy probably works fine. It's better than just having a whole bunch of little ones out there because then it's going to be really costly to fucking do anything moving forward. So yeah, you're, you're bang on on that. So uh, figure out a way to do it. I'm not sure how you do it, what's, what's your method of consolidating transactions, but people need to figure out how to use Electrum Sparrow shilling.
Sparrow, yeah. I mean, Electrum's great too, but I, I, I love Sparrow. You can label your UTXOs, make them easier to organize. Um, you can send stuff to the mixer uh, yourself. You don't have to use, um, you know, a, a trusted service or any sort of service. You can do it kind of directly through that interface. Um, yeah. If if you have any other questions about this, because I get this sometimes if you're a listener, uh, hit me up in the DMs and I will give you the best advice I can offer you or, or point you to the resources that uh, I think are great. Um, but before we kind of wrap it up here tonight, uh, Mike, I was just wondering, I know you got some thoughts and you, you want to make uh, make some remarks. So I'll give you that opportunity. I mean, I could have, there's so many moments I could have interjected with some awkward sort of jackknife to the conversation. <laughs> but uh, um, I did have one burning question i had two but i'll i'll just i'll save it for i'll save the other one for later uh you mentioned uh on a i heard somewhere that you you mentioned you had a video game background oh yeah is this right you, and you found a sega recently yeah so I, I i was lucky enough this past week uh i i have a whole bunch of tennis rackets i'm an avid tennis player and uh i'm just trying to get rid of stuff to buy as much bitcoin as possible i'm in this mood of just getting rid of stuff and so happened I, I sold a racket at noon and uh after i sold it i went down kijiji which is our version of craigslist in canada and i saw somebody listed a sega genesis with a bunch of games i was like fuck it's a great deal so i was able to use the funds that i got from selling one of those rackets to buying the sega genesis now i'm a huge like i love playing video games still kind of do in a way um but like the old 16-bit systems, I'm not sure if you guys even played. Oh, dude. Them, the... Oh, yeah. I my I grew up. My dad was yeah. Go ahead, Mike. No, I mean I I sing uh, Chrono Trigger lullabies to my kids. So <laughs> See, I have here it's uh, NHL '94. Like you played that game before. Yes, right. uh, my I was I partial to NHL '97, but actually I started a podcast on this just a uh, few weeks ago. And um, so just that specific edition of NHL, because it's sports. the goat of video games. If you're gonna have a explain P, well, a PVP. If you're gonna do it either one v one or two v two, this is the game you're gonna want to do it. It's fair, easy to play, hard to master, so much fun. You can, you can't be cheap, and it's just it's a it's a great game, and it's cheap. Right, the game is cheap. Like in terms of like, this game cost me ten bucks. It's not like you're gonna spend, you know, bring right. the bank getting it. So it just it checks off so many fucking boxes. So I, everybody adores this. And in fact, the NHL '94 community. I can't believe we're talking about this. <laughs> it's a great <laughs> discussion. It's actually it's a vibrant community. Every year they have a tournament <laughs> called the King of '94. No way. No way. And it's run every year. Is Sergey uh, Fedorov really good in that game? He in this game he's not. Ah, he's shit. okay. He's a, he's a top tier but not like super top tier uh it's called the king of 94 that's king the, of 94 no that's the yeah. conference or whatever like everyone co converges and play and so, battles yeah, each yeah. other i'm trying to get into that i'm in a player's <laughs> league and wow. if i finish first or second then i'm going to get into the king of 94 tournament and wow. the king of 94 tournament if you stay in you stay in the king of 94 if not you go to the duke of 94 and if you get kicked out of that you go to the puke of 94 so there's three different levels in which you could still win. And it's it's still like a very prominent community. And 
the podcast I just started, it's getting a decent amount of plays. I'm shocked that there's so many people interested in this. And it's just strictly about NHL 94. And yeah, like I already have a, four interviews lined up to talk about it, like people that are prominent wow. in, in the community. And yeah, like I'm a huge fan of this. And yeah, I don't know. I can't talk good enough about this game. And you know, one that came after this, 95, fucking trash. For anybody out there that likes that, it's fucking trash. <laughs> the uh, it, it's it, it was one of the place I think it was one of the first PlayStation One games, and it's uh, it probably doesn't hold a candle to NHL '94, but NHL '97. Uh, just I'm spe- specifically speaking about the intro uh, video in music or whatever you want to call it. The hands down best video game intro. So if you're interested in what I'm talking about, check that out. It's on YouTube. I'll probably put it in the show notes. Best video game, NHL '97. Uh, but before we let you. Say what? Uh, you guys want to spin up a game? We could do quick. Get get the emulators. We'll do a two v one in the NHL '94. We'll stream this live. We'll get the people to hear that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I even have uh, the controller here. See? Do do do, 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 you do Twitch? Do you Twitch this game? By the way, uh, I Twitch a little bit, but more so I just uh, record it and put it on YouTube for uh, later on. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's, it's just dude. I'll totally. Up. I would totally. I I grew up like a huge Red Wings fan when they were, they were good in the '90s. So if you ever need somebody to come on and just like play a game and like play the game while you're talking about, I don't know as, as much about that specific game, but I know much a lot about hockey back then. So so the Red Wings are maybe the best team in that game, and in fact, I'm playing with them in, in a tournament in the new players until that zone defense by the New Jersey Devils stops them. Yeah, so <laughs> you can't really do that in NHL 94. <laughs> and on top of that, there's uh, there's some quirkiness with the Genesis version versus the SNES version. There's mm. what they call a weight bug in the Genesis version where the lighter players are, you can't knock them off the puck and they become absolute gods when you check somebody. So like the odd job. What is that? The odd job from 007 Goldeneye. It's like the the odd job players, the short players can't. Oh yeah, you just can't you can't shoot them. That's I know that one yeah. very well. Yeah. So yeah, the, the the code was fucked up in a way that they made the the short sorry the light players gods and the heavy players just so easy to knock off the puck. So that's why players like Jerry Roenick, I have him here. In fact, he's uh he, he's just you know one of the best players in the game. The Hatcher brothers. The, the hatchers are too heavy. They're they're mm-hmm. they're heavyweights. They're, they're just oh, so Ronick's good because Ronick's he's fantastic. Uh, fat because he's small. He's fast. So the Red Wings are a great team. So Iserman is one of the best players in the game. Cicerelli is a is a Deep. great. He's fucking great. And in fact, people take off and I, I do the I take Fedorov off and put on Dallas Drake because Dallas Drake is a really I forgot player. about Dallas Drake. Yeah, so throw on Dallas Drake. Coffee out because he's too heavy. Put on Lidstrom and put on. Um, Oh gosh, I forget the other. It's the Russian Konstantinov. Konstantinov, yeah. And then rock and roll. It's the best team in the game, and you, you can't t- stop them. And you know, the only thing that can stop them is a, a hot goalie like a Patrick Roy or Belton. Yeah. But other than that, these guys are scoring ten goals a game, giving up nine, but doesn't matter. You're still one more than the other. That's nuts. All right, so before we go, or before we do the links, Frodo trigger. Let's talk Frodo talk. No, what's the uh, what's the? Yeah, that's a near dear. By the way, I do have to say that's a near dear. With those Sega games, did you get any of the Toe Jam and Earls? I don't really like them that much. I, okay. I have it on Genesis Mini, and I just I don't like it. But I love that uh, as a kid. Final Fantasy two or th- or three or four and six and worldwide. I know they're SNES games; those are awesome. 
Mario Kart, uh, Super Mario World. These are all fucking great games, by the way. Wasn't the original Grand Theft Auto on, or was that PlayStation? PlayStation game. PlayStation, yeah. I'm, I'm talking just 16-bit stuff here. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it was a Earthbound? tough yeah. Earthbound for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm, I played the shit out of that game. God damn it. Super Mario RPG. Joe Montana football. I used to yeah, play that. Definitely. Sports talk. Now we're, just, now we're just a bunch of guys talking about the video games you used to play. <laughs> Dude, oh, one, great, year, right? one year for New Year's <laughs> Eve, me and my, 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 we were hanging out at my neighbor's house, like our families. I was like 10, 12, 11 years old. And our, our parents had gotten drunk and we were just playing Joe Montana football. And my dad and his dad were betting like a hundred bucks on like me Holy and my buddy. So I was like playing. I'm like, shit, I got to win my dad a hundred bucks. <laughs> shit. That's a lot of pressure. It was. <laughs> The worst we had are people just get, you know, walk home angry or something like that. And I, I just, <laughs> I've seen even like, you know, people break out in some, some scuffles, uh, it's, but that's a, that's it. I never saw betting to that degree, but yeah, maybe King of 94 has a lot of betting, but I, I don't know. I haven't joined, I haven't seen it live yet. Maybe I'll, I'll touch yeah. back, uh, touch base later on and tell you all about it. I wonder if there's right. like a gold version <laughs> in this, by the way. Goldeneye has not aged well. I've, I'm not sure if you played it no, recently. It's bad, man. It's fucking <laughs> bad. It's it's an awful game to play. Like it just does not. It did not age well. Uh, it's available on the Switch uh, if you got oh, Switch yeah. with the the online subscription. I don't know what the fuck is called, but you're able to play it on that, and it's fucking brutal. Controller Star Fox hold That's up. What it is. I hated the Star N64 Fox. controller. Oh yeah, that was terrible. Oh really? No, Star Fox is terrible. good. Oh yeah, as long as Star Fox holds up. Yeah, all those those that's one of the early 3D games that just still today it's it's decent. It's not just nostalgia. It's, it's it there is some value to play that again. Definitely, it wasn't super. Yeah, it wasn't super popular, but I I was always a fan of the Dreamcast. Shenmue. Yeah, yeah, and then then uh, that was the first one where you could play NBA and like be behind the point guard. Ah, and that's an odd because it, does the camera turn around when there's a yeah? When it, oh, when that's got to be disorienting and it's, it's tough to play. I was always I was always best at that. I think that was like a weird. There was a niche of us that liked to play from that angle. You ever play Shenmue? That was me. I have no. I did not play Shenmue. I played all three parts. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like Shenmue. It's a good game. Very very slow. It's a, definitely a JRPG. But man, oh man, it's it's uh it's slow, um, but they, yeah, that, that's synonymous with Dreamcast. Said Chenmu one and two. Every time I hear Dreamcast, that's the name that that's the first game that comes to my mind. Nice. Man, that's another iterations of yeah, for sure. Dreamcast was definitely my least favorite. That that <laughs> catch up. Um, I know it's those are. I have a I have a um, follow up question to that initial question, or I or. You can take door number two, which is, um, I think, you know, talking about your podcasts and and uh, going into that, the, sort of where people can find you kind of thing. Well, it's easy. You just go to anywhere on like any search engine or podcast, Canadian Bitcoiners, or if you want to go to our website, CanadianBitcoiners.com. We do shows twice a week. Monday, we do it live, just Joey and I. And we riff on the latest news in Bitcoin and Clown World and Clown World North. And Wednesday we do an interview. And today Joey did the interview that uh, in it was actually at CBP Studios. So 
it was the in-person interview. So yeah, there's two shows live every week, uh, Mondays and Wednesdays. And yeah, I also do the NHL 94 podcast and they do that frequently. It's every week, you know, two, three weeks I bring out an episode. So it's been a while for me for the last one, but I have an interview scheduled for Friday that will come out this weekend. Yeah. And I want to say to anybody who wants to check it out, I don't normally like like the everyday updates, news, politics, macro, but most of those suck because it's just like somebody trying to sell you something. The Canadian Bitcoiners podcast is not that. That's fucking, it's a, uh, it's the good version of, of that. It's a uh, good conversation, real, real talk. Thanks. Yeah. We're not trying to, to sell anybody anything aside from just learning about Bitcoin, but also sh- shining a light on all the clown world news yeah. that's going on. And I'll be honest, our show is an hour and a half, hour 45 on Mondays. And we try to have an hour of Bitcoin related talk and 45 minutes ish of clown world. <laughs> Excuse me. We could do three, four hours of clown world every day. Yeah, right. There's there's no shortage of that. It's like there's so much so many stories left in the cutting room floor. It's incredible. And twenty twenty four, for whatever reason, is shaping up to be a banner year for clown world. I love it. This is gonna be great. Buckle up. And we have the election coming up later this year. Oh my fucking god, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. If you like high hash rate, you will like Canadian Bitcoiners podcast. It is like kind of like high hash rate, except for they're more organized, more professional, <laughs> more on point, more concise. And we're just sometimes we just kind of go off in the weeds. But I mean, people like that too. But if you if if you're looking for something more upbeat, Canadian Bitcoiners podcast. <laughs> Thanks for the plug, but yeah. So our show, our Monday shows are definitely structured, but our interviews are like this. It's just we talk, we riff on stuff, and. Wherever the conversation goes, we just follow suit. And it's a lot of fun like that. Cool, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, man. Do you want the follow-up question or shall we call it a night? I leave it up to you guys. Let's call it, Mike. Let's call it. Yeah. Thank you again for listening to the High Hash Rate Podcast with Dan and Mike. If you want to learn more about the podcast and see what we're up to, you can find us at highhashrate.com. Or if you just want to speak to a couple of baked 80 IQ plebs, reach out to us at hello at highhashrate.com. Or you can reach out to us at the high hash rate handle on X. Later, everybody. Holy Toledo!